This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. Last week, we tried to take some of the issues we often talk about on the show and put them into a bigger picture context. The collision of data, artificial intelligence and robotics and also our role in a world dominated by them. Unsurprisingly, we ran out of time before we've done more than scratch Matt's itch. So this week, Matt's plane is coming back to topic for round two. So Matt, do you want to give everyone a 30-second summary of last week's show? Hey Jeff, uh, I think regular listeners will know that I've never given a 30-second summary of anything (laughs) in my life. I can't even sum up 30 seconds in 30 (laughs) seconds. So I will do my best to keep it below the many, many minutes mark. Um, (laughs) So last week, we were kind of talking about how we're at this weird cross-section between data and artificial intelligence and the way it impacts on our lives. Now, none of this is actually new, but it has been brought into focus by this whole kind of Facebook debacle Mm. and the more than 80 million people, including Mark Zuckerberg, (laughs) who have had their data scraped and passed on to firms like Cambridge Analytica. So suddenly this is something that people really seem to care about because it turns out that the way that we pay for our online services, and that is we use them free of charge and the sites collect information about us that they build into a character profile, Then they sell that onto brands and marketing agencies and commercial intelligence operations like Cambridge Analytica. Mm. So it turns out that the way we pay for services through these third parties creates a huge ethical swamp because the companies charged with protecting our privacy are also forced to sell that information to cover their costs. You're doing okay? Thank you. Um, Maybe I should go and work for BuzzFeed. Um, Top 10, no. Uh, Naturally, in these instances, there's been a backlash against artificial intelligence and machine intelligence, which is actually a little bit daft because Mm. the machines haven't done anything wrong. (laughs) They've done exactly what they were programmed to do. Um, And they were programmed by people like us Mm. or maybe not like us. Mm. Uh, So I was trying to make a case last week that we need artificial intelligence that is more intelligent it's either sentient or fairly close to being sentient so that it can actually look at its own decision-making process and it can actually rationalize things and make choices. It might not make the right decisions. Mm. Um, It might not make the right decisions all of the time. It might make them some of the time. But we don't make the right decisions all of the time. We celebrate Um, failure. (laughs) Well, well, precisely, especially in the tech world. You know, I still think we're safer in a society where as things converge, people and machines both have choices over their behavior. So where do the robots come in? Well, that's the part I didn't get to spend so much time on Mm. last week. And hopefully we'll talk more about that today. But I've got a feeling we probably won't get there that much this week either. But we used the example of a robot seal last week that is bringing comfort and health benefits to care home residents in Hong Kong and Japan. And that is very definitely a dumb robot. Um, <laughs> not that it's, you know, a stupid idea. No, idea. Not at all, no, yeah. It's a great idea. Um, but I'd love to see an intelligent or sentient robot in that role, bringing happiness and improved quality of life to people. Mm, still no mention of sex robots. Because sex robots aren't the point. Oh. They're uh, headline-grabbing cul-de-sac. <laughs> um, they are pure clickbait. So what I want to talk about more today is the increasing role that we'll be seeing Uh, for robots and data and AI and how it plays into our world and how, as the machines become more human-like in terms of intelligence, we may actually become 
more machine-like yeah. as human beings. So in the end, there may only be this kind of hair's breadth between us. Mm. Before we go there, the one thing we threw out at the end of last week's show was Matt Book. What would be your ideal version of Facebook or any kind of like you know social media site would look like? This goes for pretty much any social media network. Um, Matt Book, Instamat, Snapmat, <laughs> Matt's app, WeMat. <laughs> we um, FutureMat has done an amazing job yeah, with those really uh, trademarks. <laughs> um, but it's something that Mark Zuckerberg alluded to in his testimony to Congress. Um, I think we have to pay for these services. Yeah. And it's quite possible that we will have to pay for Facebook at some point in the future. Mm. I know everyone says, well, I don't want to pay. But what we have now is crazy. Um, mm. It's kind of like walking into Starbucks and saying, I'll have a caramel macchiato, iced, venti, free. Yeah, And you should give it to me for free because that's what I order right, every exactly. day. <laughs> and your barista mixes up the drink. They hand it to you. You walk out with the smile on your face. Then the barista he heads over to McDonald's and says, hey, I've just had this really cool customer called Jeff in. Uh, we think you might be interested in him. Um, you know, he's, he's a fantastic guy. Would you like to pay for his drink? And McDonald's says, yes, figuring that maybe they can sell Jeff some happy meal in the future. Yeah. Now, that's not going to happen because, you know, McDonald's isn't going to pay for Starbucks customers. You, Matt, definitely going to have the hamburger. Thanks for that, Jeff. Um, <laughs> I've lost five kilograms since Christmas. I'll have you Ooh. know. Um, no, of course, McDonald's isn't <laughs> going to pay Starbucks. That would be insane. But that's kind of how our online life works. We use something we don't pay for. So that company tells another company how cool we are. And that other company pays the original company on our behalf. Mm. It's really complicated. And the funny thing is, paying for it straight might not be that expensive. Um, if it's true, the figures that have been bandied around that each user represents around $20 uh, US dollars per year to Facebook, then that's not actually yeah. a big ask. Mm. That's less than seven ringgit per month. That's all right. Exactly. And the chances are your telco or your ISP would yeah. swallow that up in the same way that they give you music and video streaming services as value adds. Facebook can still sell mm. us old-fashioned ads rather than those horrible targeted ones. And they don't have to spend so much time tweaking the algorithms that govern our news feed. Mm. You mean in terms of prioritizing content that maximizes the time you spend in an app? Yeah, precisely. Right now, the more time we spend inside these services, the more data we create mm. and the more valuable we are as an asset to sell. So that means prioritizing the kind of content that keeps us glued to the screen. And that's not always the best kind of content. So as I mentioned last week, you end up disappearing down a rabbit hole of kitten videos and dash cam car crashes, <laughs> which is fantastic. Yeah. But it's hardly keeping you in touch with your friends' lives, <laughs> which is what we all pretend that these services yeah. are for. Mm. Um, I'll give you an example. This is anecdotal rather than scientific. I've got a very close friend who posts really often on Facebook. Yet, I very rarely see that person's posts in my feed. Mm. The only time I see their stuff is when they post something emo, <laughs> that kind of, oh, woe is me. Because that's an invitation for other people to comment. And yeah. it's very clickbaity. If it's what people want to watch, doesn't that mean that it's the right content to prioritize, though? I don't think so. I think there's a distortion effect um, happening here. You know, we talk about living in a world of instant news, mm. yet unless you try very, very hard to tweak the settings, a lot of your social media services give you old news. A lot of the posts I see on my news feeds 
are several days old. Um, it's funny in a way because I've got quite a few Instagram accounts and sometimes I'll see the same content mm. hitting those feeds mm. literally days apart. Why? You know, it may be good in terms of um, generating eyeballs, but how relevant yeah. is a three-day-old Twitter post or Facebook post or Instagram post? You know, sometimes I'm halfway through commenting on a post and mm. I realize how old that post was and I just delete the comment because the person who posted it has moved on and probably isn't even thinking about yeah. it anymore. You know, when you meet face-to-face -face with someone, yeah. most people don't carry the same conversation for days at a time. Yet the people who game these algorithms think that that's normal behavior online, mm. and it really isn't. There's so much interference all in the name of monetizing mm. our content. That's why I would like to see people pay for the services they use. That way you get posts from your friends in real time, yeah. which is pretty much what the scroll <laughs> function is designed for, going from now to in the past. Yeah. And to be able to filter it so that you can prioritize the people that you want to see first. And of course, because you're paying for the service, the provider no longer has to worry about how much time you spend using it. Mm. And in fact, it becomes more like a gym membership. You sign up and the less you use it, the more money the company makes. Hey, now, how does this fit into AI and robots? Yeah, as usual, I've gone kind of around the houses <laughs> instead of straight up the stairs. Yeah. Um, social media is one of the most visible places where we come up against artificial intelligence. As uh, Mark Zuckerberg mentioned in his Congress testimony last week, he thinks it will be a number of years before AI is up to the task of policing sites like Facebook adequately. But we're already policing sites like Facebook with AI. Mm. Um, so these underwhelming machine intelligences, they're already working, not just in social media, but in banks, in hospitals, in search engines. And we already place enormous amounts of trust in intelligence that isn't so much flawed as underdeveloped. Mm. Do you think people really understand what AI is though, Matt? Or do they still see it like a kind of like this, you know, human robot that's you know, very popular in movies? I don't know. It's mm. a really good question. Um, I, I guess, you know, we'll look at that a little bit more after the break. But right. I suppose the short answer is no. Um, I think there's maybe this romantic notion for a lot of people that Artificial intelligence is created in a lab and it's released fully formed. Mm -hmm. They don't see it as being a giant statistics program that learns as it goes along. Um, if someone is having a conversation with, say, an AI-powered chatbot, I think they imagine a thought process that's similar to our own in coming up with the answers. They aren't visualizing the machine calculating the statistical probability of coming up with an answer that you'll be happy with. Yeah. And that answer is based on an extrapolation of your own behavior combined with the enormous data sets of other people's behavior and responses. You know, the kind of AI we commonly interact with is a bit like a giant calculator. Mm. It does the sums it was programmed to do. And if you're feeling a bit naughty, you can type <laughs> 7251 times 8 and turn the calculator upside down. <laughs> but that's about all it can do. Yeah. Mm. And to an extent, a lot of our free services are really training programs for these artificial intelligence. We are the ones who are generating these massive data sets that the machines learn from. Mm. We don't have at the moment, or at least we only have in the nascent stages, machines that can actually transcend those data sets. And that's one of the things that makes people so incredible by comparison, the ability to make those leaps into the unknown and to imagine the connections between mm. things that might appear to be unrelated. You know, I know it sounds cliched, 
machines may have us beat in terms of speed and sheer scale when it comes to thinking inside the box, but for AI to be truly useful to us, to ever be more than just you know a really smart toaster, it has to transcend that. It has to go beyond that. Mm. There's human beings and then there's machine and then there's Matt Armitage. Yes, the man-machine <laughs> hybrid. <laughs> we'll be right back after this BFM 89.9. <laughs> Bodacious, fabulous minds. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. And we're back. My name is Jeff Sandu and it's Fun Friday together with uh, Culture Pop's Matt Armitage. Before the break, we were talking about the kind of intelligence used by Facebook as being a first step into the world of intelligent machines and robots. Matt, is data story as big as the media is hyping up to be? It might be a struggle for some people to actually get from Facebook to a robot in their home and that, see that link. I know. I know it's not a really obvious um, kind of fact. That's why we're spending so many episodes <laughs> talking about it. Uh, I'm actually really glad that all of this has come to light and it's in mm. the public eye at the moment. Um, look at Google's role in robotics and yeah. AI and autonomous machinery. Mm. In fact, you can make comparisons with other leaders in the AI field, uh, IBM, mm. Apple, Amazon, and Facebook, of course, trying to catch up with all of them. Everything goes back to these data sets. So Google has a natural advantage because of its search engines and its cloud computing. It has developed systems that can process massive quantities of data in real time, which is exactly what the human brain does when mm. we drive a car or fly a plane. Yeah. Amazon generates sales and uh, B2B type info, and you can see it concentrating on those areas with its AI as well. IBM doesn't seem to have access to those same public-oriented data sets, so it concentrates more on the pure computational aspects like its work with games like Go. Mm. And Apple still seems to think it can sell ridiculously expensive <laughs> hardware to people and be a leader in the AI field. Yeah. So you're trying to say that pretty much everything we do online is part of this progression. Yeah, uh, my co-host on my other podcast, mm. MX, Polly, is an AI voice from Amazon. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I get a host and Amazon uses me and tens of thousands of other users to refine its natural speaking engines. With Polly, I get a certain number of free words per month, after which I have to pay. Mm. So we make these trade-offs every day. And with Facebook, it's no different. Uh, what's important is not so much what's happening with the data now as what will happen in the future, which is why I said I'm glad that this has come to light. It's forcing us to reassess and make choices and decide who owns what. Right now, as big as it sounds, who owns your likes really is small potatoes. This is a first-round match in the World Cup, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> wow, football analogy. I, I know, and you can see how terribly I made the analogy right. <laughs> so can you try and explain why do you think this is such a big deal? What, football? Or... <laughs> no. Um, you know, I, I said on a show recently, and I can't remember if it was here or the evening edition, but um, we have to make a decision about whether we view networks like Facebook as commercial or social goods, whether they're a public utility. And that's because of the power of the information that they generate. Uh, in the same way we discuss whether healthcare and education should be in public or private hands, we have to start looking at data in the same way. If we go back to Paro, the robot seal mm. from last week, what if Paro did more than offer companionship? And no, I don't mean anything <laughs> disgusting. He's a cuddly seal pup. What if he was monitoring your heart rate, yeah. your blood pressure, mm. the, the, 
the clarity of your voice and your cognition. Yeah. Where would that data go if Paro is made by a private company? Mm-hmm. Who owns that information and how can it be used? Mm. I think you said it on Matt FM. It's one of the other things that Future Matt actually built as well. So, mm. Oh, really? I haven't listened to that yet. Uh-huh. I stay away from Future Matt as much as possible. He's a psycho. Yeah. So anyway, some people might argue that companies are more responsible than governments. And that's the line we've been fed, that companies are better placed to use the information responsibly. And governments and national organizations, to be fair, are often rubbish with data. Mm, mm. Um, Systems are antiquated or they aren't adequately protected. Information can be lost or sold illegally. Yet the current issue with uh, Facebook and Cambridge Analytica shows the weaknesses and risks of leaving that information in private hands and how easy it is for that situation to blow up as well. So saying that public bodies aren't up to the task is kind of missing the point. They Mm. might not be now, but they're going to have to be in the near future. I think the um, congressional hearings with Mark Zuckerberg have kind of kick-started a realism on the part of lawmakers that this information is a valuable national asset and it should be protected. And the resources to protect it have to then be made available to store it, to safeguard it, to sift it, to, to use it. That's why I keep saying that millennials and centennials are so important. They understand the currency of information. And when they act politically and socially, it's with the ownership of this material in mind. Mm. So, Matt, paint us one of your pictures. Show us why this is something we should fix now. Killer robots. Yes. (laughs) No killer robots, no sex robots, but lots of other kinds of robots. No, we're looking at this massive convergence of mankind and machinery. Machinery... Machines and robots are already replacing us in the workplace, Mm. and that's only going to increase. At the same time, we're going to see more intelligent machines in our homes and our daily lives. Mm. Why do you see such a massive spread? Mainly because of the cloud. You know, we don't need to store all that intelligence in one unit in our house or in each individual device or unit. That means resources aren't wasted, um, like our cars, for example, Mm. which do nothing for 90% of the time. (laughs) The cloud shifts all of that heavy lifting part online, just in the way that we use Alexa, Assistant, and Siri at the moment. Mm. Because the sensors and chips that connect dumb devices to all that intelligence are already incredibly cheap. So it's not about why wouldn't you have a smart toaster or fridge? It's about why wouldn't you? Mm. You know, you start to build up this picture where everything is interdependent because a a toaster isn't just about applying the perfect tan to your bread. It's about energy (laughs) use. Mm -hmm. And as we have more local energy generation focused around renewables and capacity stored in batteries, it becomes critical for all of those power-consuming devices to talk to each other. So that's why I've argued so much for open source smart home systems rather than these kind of manufacturer dependent ones. And outside of the home? Well, again, go back to the car. You know, we think Mm. of our cars Mm. as being symbols of freedom. But when you look at something like an autonomous car or bike, it isn't actually an individual unit anymore. It's part of a transport system. It speaks to all the other cars. And most importantly, it speaks to the network that runs the transport grid in your town or city. Those interactions allow the city to operate most efficiently, which means getting you from A to B in the fastest time possible. Um, Think beyond the screen of your phone. If all these systems are voice controlled, then any number of public surfaces can become your screen. It could be the window of a shop, the side of a wall, the glass in your car, and everything linked to the cloud and everything speaking back to you. The amount of data and the degree of integration that this is going to create suggests that either one or two companies are going to control 
pretty much everything, <laughs> or we manage to place all that data in public hands and we own and control it. And that's really what we're talking about. It's the same with those single manufacturer home control systems. Whoever has the data has the keys to our world. You are starting to sound like a conspiracy theorist. And I don't mean to, and that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm, I don't think there's a big conspiracy. I don't think Apple hmm. or Samsung is plotting to take over the world. <laughs> it's just the way in which all of this convergence is happening. It makes sense to consolidate all that information in one or two places. Mm, so mm. it's actually a really simple economic and social argument, public versus private. If we go with private, it will probably end up in the hands of a very limited number of companies, and they will then have huge amounts of power. And we've seen how Facebook has behaved with the very limited information that it has. Multiply that by 10 times or 100 times, 1,000 times or 100,000 times. Who would you then trust to look after that information? Mm. And that's kind of why we have to start making those decisions right now beyond the ownership and privacy aspects why would you prefer the information to be in public hands well we talked in geeks a couple of weeks ago about mm. estonia and dna testing yeah. citizens yeah as a way to keep the population healthy now obviously there's a lot of personal freedom aspects to take care of there but preventing long-term health conditions saves countries a lot of money it improves quality of life it makes people happier it makes them healthier when you have sensors in absolutely everything, giving multiple forms of data back. Mm. could be location, temperature, time, air quality, speed, periods of activity, rest, exercise. You know, the list goes on and on and on. It can be the perfect tracking tool. So it's a dangerous thing to give all of that information to a government. But at least we have methods to control our governments and make them responsible. We don't have those same mechanisms when yeah. it comes to mm. companies. We rely on governments to act as our proxies when it comes to companies. So things that are owned by our government are actually owned by us, however imperfect that scenario or situation may be. Because built into this system, we also need the power to quarantine, remove, or destroy our own personal data. It's going to be hard enough to make that possible with publicly owned data. It will be practically impossible to make that happen when private companies with a profit motive are involved. Mm. Yet again, we still haven't really covered that robot part. No, I've meandered <laughs> all over the place again, so I'll have to come back to it again next mm. week um, and we'll talk more about the uh, the convergence of the man-machine that is future Matt. Um, <laughs> society is changing. You know, we are living longer. Um, a robot or an avatar in your home could be a companion, a nurse and an assistant. For the aging populations of the developed world, it could be the key to independent living for people who are older or who have health conditions. Mm. These are machines that are data-driven, but you could also have a satisfying emotional relationship with. It's a machine that is a genuine friend. It's not a replacement for human contact, yeah. but it's actually your equal. It's a sentient being that is mechanical in origin. So we'll talk mm. more next week about the even blurrier prospect <laughs> of what might happen if you and that AI are actually one and the same <sighs> and the machine parts are actually a part of your body. Mm. I hope that today makes this a little bit clearer. You know, our brains really are data engines. And as technology gets closer to being able to read that information, 
we need to have the systems and the safeguards in place to protect the thoughts we think. Mm, the rise of robots, and I think we'll we'll do another episode next week. We'll we follow will. up and more robots. Next week will be <laughs> master and servant. <laughs> you can check out culturepop.com. It's culturepop with a K for transcripts of this show. And of course, you can also find out how to bring a little bit of maths planning to your company. We'll be right back with Geek Squawks after this. BFM eighty nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.